Hello and welcome to another Way Take podcast. I'm your host, Corey Jenner-John. Today, I am very excited because I am joined by noted psychologist, Dr. Gail Post. Gail, thanks a lot for joining the Way Take podcast today. Can you please uh, give us a little bit of information? Tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on here. I'm excited to, uh, to be part of this. So I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been doing it a long time, uh, kind of too long. Some people might say 35 years or so um, in practice. So I've, I've been in the field for a long time and I have a specialization in giftedness. Uh, I work with uh, gifted teens, adults and parents of teens. I focus a lot on parent coaching and uh, counseling. And um, my, uh, you know, I, I, my practice also has expanded to some writing as well. I, when my kids were in school, I was involved with a gifted parents advocacy group through uh, the state-based organization in Pennsylvania, similar to yours. And I was heavily involved with the schools trying to advocate for changes in the curriculum, um, universal identification and so on, along with my uh, colleagues in this group. When my kids graduated, I decided I wanted to continue to advocate but to uh, find another form for doing that. So I started a blog called Gifted Challenges where I focus on the parents and the individual's uh, ability to understand what's going on for them. So understanding asynchronous development and challenges in the schools, getting their needs met and social and emotional issues and what it feels like to be a parent of a gifted child. So I've been writing a lot about that. It's been 10 years now, actually, in January. So I've been doing that a long time and continue to write elsewhere and uh, do workshops and all. And I uh, recently actually had a book published through Gifted Unlimited Press. It's called The The Gifted Parenting Journey. And it's uh, unique in that it focuses on the parent's experience. So I incorporate research theory, clinical experience, vignettes, and all of that, as well as an online survey results from which um, I was able to obtain. So I sent around a survey to parents of the gifted on Facebook groups and other websites and received over 400 responses. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was great. And I was so, and many heartfelt commentary as well. It wasn't just answering the questionnaire. Hundreds of folks poured their hearts out. It was really amazing. And I included some of those comments. I obviously just a small number. I couldn't include them all in my book. Um, I'm also in the process of working on data analysis with a a colleague of mine, Barry Gelston, through uh, Gifted Homeschoolers Forum. So we're going to try to make more sense of the data than just the uh, percentages and, and basic information. So looking forward to that. And Again, I'm happy to be here to support parents in any way possible because, hey, this is you know this is a tough job trying to navigate our, our way through all of this. Yeah, I would I would agree. So, but first of all, thanks a lot, Gail, for coming on. I actually uh, speaking of Barry, I kind I kind of want to have him get on the podcast, but we haven't been able to uh, get our schedule straight. But I, mm-hmm. I really want to have him on too. But he's he's got a wealth of information as well. Um, You have you have so much experience in this gifted accelerated learning field. Uh, The first thing um, that I was wondering was uh, why are gifted uh, learners uh, misunderstood? Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think there's a profound level of misunderstanding, confusion, stigma, uh, 
people are just baffled by it. And sometimes when people don't understand something, they, they create a negative valence about it. So I, I think that first of all, the public has trouble accepting the concept of giftedness. And frankly, gifted is not a great word, right? I mean, it sort of implies that somebody has a gift and that they're better than others. And so most people kind of shrink away from using that term. And I know there's been talk for years and and there's a recent upsurge in other ideas and ways to describe these cognitively unique individuals. But for now, we're kind of stuck with that term and it's something we have to kind of educate others about. So people in the community who don't have a child who's gifted or twice exceptional often don't understand what it's about. They think it's just high achievement or parents who are pushing them or parents who want their child to succeed academically and and that's all they care about. Uh, I I think educators are really well-meaning and really trying hard to work with diverse classrooms in terms of a range of intellectual skills and abilities, but uh, it's overwhelming for them. And since giftedness accounts for anywhere from one to 5% of the population, they're not going to have that many gifted kids in any given classroom. So they're trying to accommodate a child whose, whose intellectual needs are several standard deviations above the mean in a classroom where most of the kids are what you might consider neurotypical, who um, have average to maybe even slightly above average intelligence. But Gifted kids need more. And so educators are really floundering. They're not often given much training in this during their uh, schooling years. And often there's not a lot of continuing ed. So it often falls on families to advocate in a tactful and collaborative way with the schools to uh, try to get their child's needs met. And you mentioned, Gail, how you counsel you know, families, parents, how, how, first of all, is it hard to communicate with parents, especially if they've never gone through um, a process like this, having a child uh, that uh, needs accelerated learning? Well, what I find is when they reach me, they are already somewhat aware of what they've got going for okay. them in terms of the struggles ahead. And often they are relieved to find support and I'm not just saying with me, but with anyone really who understands giftedness. And it's almost like they can breathe a sigh of relief that, oh my gosh, you understand me. You, you see what I'm going through. This is not something to brag about. This is a challenge. I have to do extra work to find ways to navigate the system, to find extracurriculars that are engaging and in many cases affordable. Uh, and it's a lot of work. It's really hard. And I'm worried about my child. I'm worried they're going to be miserable and unhappy. I I rarely hear any parents say, I'm worried they're not going to succeed, you know, academically. I'm worried they're they're not going to be successful. That's not the fears. It's, will they fit in? Will they be comfortable with themselves? Will they be rejected by peers? Will they navigate complex social uh, rules out in society? So it, it's really more anxiety and worry and fears about uh, how to how to support their child. And then also uh, a lot of pushback very often from schools, especially in those states in the U.S. where there are no legal uh, guarantees that a child is, is allowed to have a GIEP or a, a gifted plan of some kind uh, where parents have the legal authority to insist on that. Those states, it's, it's a free-for-all. But even in states where there are those safeguards, every district is different and they 
have different guideposts as to how they define gifted education or gifted services. And it's very confusing and it's, it's a new learning curve for all parents involved. I was actually just, that's funny you bring that up. I was actually just telling um, a teacher about this, how it seems like the rules are always changing when it comes to mm-hmm. accelerated learning and gifted students. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there needs to be more universal, you know, written in stone type, type rules and uh, protocols. Is that, would that be a fair thing to say? Do you think Gail or? Yeah. I mean, I think it will. I mean, most, most districts, when they do tests for giftedness, use the 130 IQ as a cutoff, but some also include other bench posts. So a benchmark so that a child who is close to that with their IQ or who uh, is a, is a standout among their peer group, they, they look for other secondary uh, signs as well so that children aren't overlooked because some children due to a variety of factors may be overlooked and don't quite hit that 130 uh, benchmark but uh, in general uh, you know I think it's um, it, it's complicated trying to sort out what to do with with children like this and so um, in a situation where uh, schools are trying to trying to figure out what to offer them it's complicated and having standardized guidelines about how to educate these children would be helpful but even within those guidelines and i'm not an educator so it's not up to me to say how it should be reworked but even within those guidelines there needs to be room for individuality because as as a colleague of mine says uh once you see one gifted kid you see one gifted kid it's not like you've seen them all so it, they're all different and there needs to be a level of flexibility and creativity as well, but an acknowledgement that certain certain, uh, certain formats that have been used in many schools over the years are not helpful. Uh, giving extra homework, lots of boring worksheets uh, to keep them busy, lots of yep. busy work. Yep. Telling the child to tutor his peers. I mean, why don't we just put a target on their back for bullying? You know, it's like, it's not yeah. gonna work that way. Sticking a really super bright child in uh, a um, project-based learning group, uh, you know, like a group of kids where you have a project to work on and you put one of the super um, gifted kids in with everyone else, like they're supposed to pull them up. And all that does is create conflict and frustration. So there are lots of of, uh, ideas that teachers have tried to implement in a very... uh, very, you know, very well, well-meaning attempt to support these kids, but unfortunately, they they backfire. I was I was just speaking with uh, a new client who said that he was pulled out of uh, out of recess every day for gifted education. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, punitive. You know, I mean, it wasn't intentionally punitive. That's probably the only time they thought they could fit it in, but he didn't need to be in some of the regular classes. He could have been pulled out then. So then he was just punished for his giftedness. So you're taking away his free time. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder how that was received by his peers. You know, here he's got to leave and they're probably like, well, (laughs) I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not, I don't uh, end up in a class like that because I actually kind of like reset. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, you, the, these kids, again, sometimes they have asynchronous development where their social maturity lags behind their intellects. So they may not always fit in with their same age peers. So they're already struggling or they might be impatient or they may not understand why 
you know, their, their um, playmate on the playground doesn't want to explore the rocks and understand the geology of them rather than just climbing. So it's, it's hard enough anyway for most gifted kids. But when the schools do things inadvertently to try to support them, but which backfire, it, it creates a firestorm. What is the, from the school district's perspective, Gail, what is their biggest hurdle into not uh, fulfilling uh, all of the gifted learners' needs, would you say? Wow, that's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, I can't speak, obviously, for every school system. This is just my impression. I I think there's several hurdles because there's, there's a, there are a variety of stakeholders involved. So there are the parents of the gifted kids, they're the teachers, there is the financial pressure administrators feel about where to put resources. There's the community at large where uh, some folks in the community think that gifted children are privileged and they get more when in fact we know that they often get very, very little in terms of uh, efforts to meet their, their intellectual needs. But the community may perceive them like, hey, they're lucky, you know, they're going to do well in life. They're so smart. What, why do they need any more help? They'll be just fine. And so there's community pressure. I, I recall when my kids were in school going to a school board meeting as part of um, this gifted advocacy group I was involved with and hearing parents in there, some parents saying, you know, those gifted kids, they get their AP courses. What more do they need? So again, a lot of misunderstanding out there. So it's, it's really about education. Ironically, we're talking about the school system, but it's education for, uh, for families, for the community, for parents, for uh, teachers, and for administrators to understand this dire need that these kids are flailing out there because they are not being challenged. And at, at best, they get through with their self-esteem intact. At worst, they... Um, they, they fail, you know, they, they underachieve, they, they drop out of school. I mean, there've been some really sad situations where that's happened, but even for the kids who tend to do well with the wonderful grades and all that, many don't have the executive functioning skills intact because no one's ever challenged them. So they don't have the organizational or time management or planning skills. They can sort of do things at the last minute and get by and they develop that as an unhealthy behavior pattern. And eventually it's going to come back to bite them when they're in college or on a job or in any vocation that at some point they're going to have to access those skills. And the schools, unfortunately and inadvertently, did them a disservice by not challenging them enough so they'd have to incorporate those skills. That's interesting. So, Gail, so the you could probably make an argument that the uh, one of the um, biggest pieces of education that needs to go out about um, gifted learners is the stakeholders that do not have um, any children or um, kids that are gifted. Uh, th- th- these are the people that really need to know what you know giftedness is about, uh, what it means. Um, the question is how do we <laughs> how do you know how do we present that? How, how does that message get out? Yeah, that's a that's really a tough one. I mean in my my fantasy it would be that a district could, talk about the concept of cognitive diversity or neurodiversity, that all children are different. They all have their strengths. They all have their struggles. 
and we're here to support all children. So some children might have an IEP, for example, an individualized education plan because they have a learning disability. That doesn't mean they're not smart or capable, but we're here to support them through those struggles. Children at the uh, children who intellectually are at the top end of the bell-shaped curve have their own struggles and challenges, and we're we're emboldened to help them as well. So to treat it uh, that it's just they're just children and there's just a continuum of abilities and needs within the classroom. And that as a school district, we'll do the best we can to try to support that. That's, that's interesting. I really like that. Um, and you know, there's, there's so many, there, like, like we talked about earlier, there's so much misunderstanding uh, that's out there. Um, it'd be, it'd be great if, at, like you said, at the district level, they could get together and just have a meeting. Because the thing that I've always been confused about, it's always understood, like you said, um, you know, the kids that have uh, special needs that needs that have IEPs, those kinds of uh, those kinds of needs. Um, those, you know, everybody is, you know, does not have a problem, you know, sending programs, resources to that direction. I don't have a problem either. But the moment we talk about sending programs and resources the other, to the other side of the spectrum, that's where there is always a lot of, you know, grinding of teeth and uh, people getting upset. And that, and that's the part that the piece that I've never really understood. Um, what, you know, why does it always tend to be like that, Gail? Yeah, I think, you know, I think fortunately parents have compassion for folks who really are struggling and they want to see those kids helped. Uh, they, they don't want to stand in the way of that at all. Uh, I, I think there's some confusion again about assuming that gifted kids have it made and they're just going to be fine and, and they can just sort of sail along through school and, and be successful. But there's a misunderstanding about it that it, it's, it's a flower that you don't water, right? It's, it's yep. going to wilt if you don't take care of it. There's, a, there's also other pieces of confusion and, and I, I don't want to step too much into this, but about equity, because we know that there are groups of children who are overlooked. Uh, children of color, indigenous children, um, children who are English language learners, who are immigrants and don't speak the language well, we know they are overlooked and uh, not offered the education that they deserve. Children who come from impoverished backgrounds, rural children as well, uh, really aren't getting their needs served. But I, I think that the some of the confusion out there is that there's been an attempt to eliminate gifted services that somehow that will make things better for everyone, um, or that having additional support for a gifted child somehow uh, takes it away from other children. And in reality, what, what happens is what, what uh, Jonathan Plucker has called the excellence gap, where children who are most in need of these supports, children from impoverished backgrounds, children uh, uh, from rural backgrounds, persons of color, they are overlooked completely. And so again, these are the kids who may not be able to access extracurriculars or enrichment that parents who have some financial backing can help them with. These kids desperately need the support from the schools, but they're not getting it. Yeah. And speaking of Gail, speaking of um, districts that um, decide to get rid of uh, gifted, uh, gifted and accelerated learning altogether, uh, New York City uh, dropped mm -hmm. their program. What when you first yeah. saw that, what was your first reaction? 
Well, I just think it's a mess there, right? You know, I mean, it really is. I mean, first of all, it's New York. It's it's huge. It's enormous. There's a lot going on. Um, and I, I think there was a lot of, well, well, just even the screening of children to get into kindergarten and first grade is is complicated. And it, it was a setup for parents to try to prep their kids as much as possible. So then it became, well, this is a white thing or an Asian thing, even though the Asian population is one of the most impoverished in, in New York and its boroughs. Um, but it became a, a racial battle as opposed to let's help all kids who need the support. Let's not base this entry uh, early on when kids are not fully formed. You take an asynchronous gifted child, for example, they may not show up on well on any testing at age four, even if they're they're talking a blue streak because yeah. they're preoccupied with what they want to build or they don't care about it. Or, so it's too early to screen at four years old. Um, and it's just a setup for failure. So I understand lots of folks rebelling against it, but I think it's become this buzzword that has um, has complicated life for many. And the bottom line is those who have any money at all will put their kids in private schools. So it again, it it does not serve those most in need. And then we circle right back to equity, which you were talking about before, because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I actually talked about um, talked about you know accelerated learning to one of my other. Uh, buddies, that's a, a longtime teacher, and he's just like, you know, that's hard for me to talk about because he's like, the first thing I hear whenever I hear anybody talk about that is uh, money and resources, and he's like, I know that a lot of districts don't have that. And I said that's completely fair, mm-hmm. but I said that's mm-hmm. also frustrating because it shouldn't be like that, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. right, right. There's there's a lot of you know, but there's a lot that can be done with just some basic in services in the schools. To help teachers understand at least what not to do, yeah. Uh, what what will you know? Like again, putting a target on a kid's back by having them teach and tutor their peers in their classroom. Uh, it's you know there, there are basic things like that. When my kids were in the schools, there was a um, they they had gifted education there, but it was again a pullout kind of a program. When they were in fifth and sixth grade, the uh, gifted teacher's idea of enrichment was to take them to New York for Broadway shows. Uh, we're in Philadelphia, so it's about you know hour and a half, two hour drive. Well, first of all, why are the gifted kids the only ones who have that right to go see a Broadway show? That's and secondly, point. a lot of the gifted kids didn't want to. So what it did was it created this uproar of elitism. Oh my gosh, it's such an elitist program, the gifted program. It was a disaster. Uh, and my kids, by the way, never went to the Broadway shows because they weren't interested. But, <laughs> but um, and also on principle, I thought I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to send them and spend money too. It cost money to send them uh, to something that 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 is just not in their best interests and not in the best interests of the school and and certainly the gifted program. Eventually, that was abolished by basically opening it up to anyone in the school, any child and family who wanted their child to have the enrichment of seeing a Broadway show could sign up for it. And there was some financial aid available as well. So that got taken care of, but it's a battle we shouldn't have had to waste our time speaking. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Um, But I just want to say um, Dr. Gail Post, I I just want to say thank you for, for being on the Wisconsin association for talented and gifted podcast. You've been, you've been amazing. Uh, Like I said, uh, a wealth of knowledge, in your years as a, a noted psychologist. So I just want to say thank you again for, for, uh, for coming on. It's been, it's been a tremendous, tremendous time chatting with you about uh, giftedness. So thank you. Well, 
Thank you for having me. And, you know, I, I just love to talk about giftedness. So this uh, gave me a great opportunity to share some of my thoughts. And I, I hope some of those resonate with those of you out there listening to this. And if anyone needs to reach me uh, for anything further, you can always just go to my website, which is my name, gailpost.com, G-A-I-L-P-O-S-T, and, um, or my Gifted Challenges site, and I'd be happy to, to get back to you. But thank you for having me. Wisconsin is a, is a lovely state, and I'm so glad that you have something progressive like this going on to help out these families. All right. Thank you, Gail. I appreciate it.